0: We just like to see the boys hit it deep. There's nothing like the view from the Chiefs.
1: Welcome to the first of at least three and hopefully hundreds of Make Glove, Not War podcasts on the Pulltab Sports Podcast Network. It's the next ideation of the award-winning Make Glove, Not War uh, columns that you've been reading religiously on pulltabsports.com. Thanks for that. I am your host, Ryan Stanzel, and I'm sure you're all asking especially those of you who follow Yankees fan on Twitter. Um, what are my qualifications to host a Twins podcast? And I, I came up with two I spent all week. Um, and the first one um, is I am a middle-aged man that checks one box. I'm a podcaster. And the second is I've watched every single Twins playoff game since 2003. It's because all but three or four of those have been against the Yankees. Uh, but don't hold that against me. Uh, I've been here since 2000. Gosh, seven now, uh, and as most people who know me will, I tell them a lot. I'm 51% Yankees fan and 49% Twins. Um, you know, when they play, one side's gonna win out, but I want to see the Twins do well. Um, I, I love this team. I love this. You know, this city. Um, so, thanks for joining in today. So, before we get to the podcast uh, and today's spe- very special guest, I do want to talk a little bit about the name. Uh, it is Make Glove, Not War don't come after me all you analytics people i want you to listen to this blog or listen to this podcast um i'm not anti-analytics i just think that some teams maybe one in this town maybe one in the town that i grew up in uh are maybe a little bit too what's the word i'm looking for hell-bent on making sure analytics are the way to go Uh, it's certainly part of the equation but i think Sometimes they rely maybe a little bit too much, not as much on, you know, feel maybe of what's happening on the, on the, uh, on the field and, and Murph, my guest here, and I will get into that very soon. Um, so I'd like to bring in my longtime friend, colleague, Brian Murphy. Uh, I do have a story about Murph and that is that, uh, I'd known you for a couple of years and you were, you know, a columnist, at the pioneer press at that time. And Murph showed up in what Kevin Gorg likes to call the mess hall at the XL Energy Center. I used to work for the wild Murph covered the team and there are a couple other Pioneer Press reporters and columnists there, and we kind of looked at Murph, like, oh, Murph, you covering the game tonight? He's like, nah, Meg's out of town. I need dinner. Um, <laughs> so as part and that is that is extremely true. And as part of that, we'll get to our sponsors here in a minute, but we do have some snacks. Murph is... It's the, uh, the prototypical sports writer, uh, as am I for that matter. So Murph's a guy like me, he worked in sports forever, left for a nice corporate gig. And, um, I don't know about you Murph, but I probably watch more sports now and write more about sports now, maybe than when I was there and probably enjoy it a little bit more also published author. You want to hand me your book? Cause we're going to give away one of these. You're going to want to listen to the very end of this thing. Cause we're going to give away Murph's. One hundred things Minnesota sports fans should know and do before they die. Hopefully, one of them is see a Stanley Cup.
0: Um, well, it's all parade. Gophers related, which is ironic because ah, I never covered ah, the Gophers, but go. I got the deal to do this book. Perfect. <laughs> um, so, Murph, thanks, thanks, uh, thanks for being on here today with us. I, I love that story. I, it must have been when I was in newborn hell. Me, <laughs> my wife left town and I just had no food and I figured I'd come in for a free meal. Uh, I didn't do that all of the time. No, it's so. just the one time. It was, okay. on, it is, I,
1: I know where you live and I know where the X is and it is on the way home. So it's, <laughs> um, it's all good. So Murph, we'll get into the twins in a second. You're, you're from Detroit, born and bride. You and I, what year did you get here? 2000. 2000. Right so when you, the wild started. Yep. So you've been here seven more years than me. Um, but a long-suffering Detroit fan, you take the Red Wings out of the equation and you grew up probably a little bit on, on Alan Trammell and Lou Whitaker, but you have a lot in common with, with the uh, beleaguered sports fans in this town.
0: Well, if, if we frame it in two different ways, I'd say the last 15 years have been really bad. Well, not even 15, 10 in Detroit, but I haven't really been a fan. Right. But when I grew up from like, let's say 1980 to 2000 when I moved here, when that was my prime fandom. You know, I was a kid and then a, an adult when I moved here. We had it pretty good. We, uh, we had the 84 Tigers uh, that won the World Series, the 87 Tigers that should have beaten the Twins. Uh, we had the Red Wings ascending. Yeah, I see that, 87-91. Um, the Pistons won two championships when I was in high school, yeah. Michigan, Michigan state's always been good. Now, of course there's the lions. We, we can all, right. you know, lament their 65 year rebuilding project. <laughs> uh, but I was, they've had, I love to say this. They've the lions have had one playoff win since 1957. Now think about that. That's 65 years, That's one playoff win. I was there. Who was that against? I was against Dallas in yeah, 1991. Right. Uh, Barry Sanders was running wild. They, they smoked them like 37 to 10 at the old Silverdome. It was great. It was a riot. Then they went to the NFC Championship game and lost in Washington. That was the year the Super Bowl was here. Uh, so we knew they weren't going to beat Washington. They were dominant that year. But what they did do is make uh, – it was such a painful loss for the Cowboys that they ended up becoming a dynasty. Like they didn't lose a playoff right. game for five years after that miserable Detroit loss, whereas 30-plus years later, the Lions have not won a playoff game. So long-suffering for the Lions, but – In my lifetime, we've got multiple trophies, so I've got no complaints. Now, it's pretty dry in Detroit right now, and my son likes to to really needle myself and my dad and my brother about that because he doesn't know anything before 2015. And I'm like, dude, we've got four Stanley Cups in 25 years, a couple of finals appearances, three NBA championships, one World Series and two more appearances— I feel pretty fine. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sports, doing fine with that. Sports
1: fans in this town would definitely, <laughs> definitely take that. You know, we talked a little bit before we started just about the, there is some optimism, some optimism in this town. You know, the Twins, at least what the trade deadline makes you think that they're quote unquote going for it. While obviously the, the Wolves are on the upswing big time. Um, the Vikings will see what we get this year from Cousins and more, but um, there is certainly a, Optimism that I haven't felt across the entire city, the quite entire cities since I've been here in '07. Um, I think for all the teams,
0: there is, and I'll give, I'll grant that. Um, but not to be a Debbie Downer here, but I, I wonder if it's a little bit misguided in the sense that let's we'll start with the Wild. Um, fantastic regular season. You've got a bona fide superstar finally that that could light up this town for years uh, in in Kirill Kaprizov. Um, fairly well balanced this past year, but then they go and 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 stub their foot in six games against St. Louis, where you know seventy percent of the team really didn't show up for that series. So right. you, and Kaprizov did, which is good. Your superstar came to play and led you, but now they're in salary cap hell because of the Parisi suitor deals, and you're kind of wondering if you know. I mean. I, Look, they weren't going to be Colorado the next round anyway, but it's almost it was almost imperative that they they get out of that first round. St. Louis, tough opponent, but a beatable team. They should have advanced and they didn't. And the way they fell apart the last few games just kind of leaves you with that. Okay, now what? I mean, yeah, okay, they've established some things, but did they peak? And is that you know, that'll be that'll bear watching the Wolves. uh, Great optimism, no doubt. I don't know. I mean, you know, they should have won that series, too. And it's like, are you settling for a six-game collapse against Memphis because you haven't had anything in 20 years? Okay. I can, I can see that. But you're also, to me, settling. That being said, they've locked everybody up, including Carl Anthony Towns. They are an ascending team. So I could see that being a good storyline going forward. You know, the Twins, the front office, I give them credit. They did what they needed to do. They filled every need. They were aggressive They told the clubhouse, we believe in you, and we're going to make you better. And they really haven't done much since, you know, on the field. And now they're tied with Cleveland as we speak tonight. And, you know, it's it's, it's probably a coin flip if if they even win the Central. And again, Debbie Downer here, do you feel confident in a best-of-five series against Houston, New York, or Toronto? I don't necessarily. But hey, at this point, after 18 straight playoff losses, I'd settle for one win.
1: Yeah. Um, and we'll get, we definitely, I want to ask Murph some more about, uh, sports in general towards the end of this. He's, uh, so you, you were never, you weren't the beat writer for the twins. You were for the Vikings, right? And then you're a columnist later in your, in your tenure. Yeah.
0: So I did. So when I got here, I covered the uh, wild from day one until about 2006, seven, probably right about when you, I bailed out in the middle of that 06, seven season. Manny Fernandez. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Manny. And, uh, Manny, I forgot about Manny. I wonder what he's doing now. He'd be a fun guy to load up with some true serum for a day. <laughs> um, and then I pivoted over to some general assignment work. For those uninitiated, I did a little of everything. And then in 2009, I rolled over. I was never the primary Vikings beat writer, thank the Lord, because that's a all-consuming job. I was one yeah. of an army. I uh, covered them from 09 to 2017, but in the middle, I was always doing, you know, maybe 20 Twins games a year, take a couple of road trips to alleviate the burden. I like, I love being at the ballpark. I wouldn't want to cover it every day right. and have my summer consumed by that. But I love being at the ballpark here and there and the the pace of baseball and covering it and Twins have always been a first class organization to deal with, so they were always... Um, excellent to deal with both at the dome and certainly Target Field. I mean, I would just find excuses to cover those Wednesday yeah. afternoon games because it was like, how where would you rather be on a sunny Thursday afternoon in May than covering a ball game? It was great
1: or a January day in Detroit because if if there was <laughs> if there was one thing I knew about a wild road trip was Murph was going to be in Detroit, uh, seeing his several family, days in advance, <laughs> se- several days in advance, seeing us uh, with a smiley face as we walked into. Uh, gosh, I'm it. I miss Joe Louis Arena a you little do. bit. Well, yeah. I, you know, the charm, the, 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 the non, smells, the non functioning elevator, and me having to walk up six flights of stairs to get to the press box and then walk right back down. But um, before we get into that, we're going to start the twins right now. We do have a couple of sponsors here. I want to bring up uh, Jimmy's salad dressing and dips first. And actually, Murph and I are probably going to have some of this because it's been in my, in my fridge for holy almost a week. Here. Yeah. Murph's doing the holy smoke. Um, we also have the slaw here, which is what I really want to talk about. Because, you know, you're in Minnesota, it's between Memorial Day, Labor Day. And Labor Day is getting here way too soon. Uh, and it's slaw season. Jimmy's, Jimmy's coleslaw, uh, deserves a spot at, I think, all of our tables. And it'll be on my table this weekend for sure. Too often, you know, coleslaw is like an afterthought. You know, it's like on the side of the table next to Grandma Betty. It's the third
0: uh, option. Right. And a good barbecue.
1: But this Jimmy's, you know, it's a killer item on its own. Uh, I know we've got some like salad at, at home. We're just gonna mix it together and have a uh, have a feast this weekend. so don't sleep on the slaw. Uh, you can pick it up. Cub Foods, Coborns in the north and west, and Super one up north. So that's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna ask Murph a question and I'm gonna have some of this uh, some of the holy smokes
0: as well. I'll keep the answer long if you want to go back in. <laughs> well, it's and double dip. We've already,
1: told each other we need to be careful about how much we're dinosaurs on this and you know it's <laughs> it's the platform I've I've been on but analytics um obviously it's important there are many things um that are that form organizations and how they think i think the one thing i the one i want to talk about this whole third time through the order and there are stats to back it up like i'm not going to start to be into a great story this week about the i mean the batting average the first time through the order 150 and the third time over 300 um, but I think, and I think sometimes with some teams, and I'm not saying this is the twins all the time, but that's, that is what guides them through the order. Guys got 75 pitches in five innings in his cruise in, but we're not going to let him go. Um, and who do you want? Do you want, you know, Archer in the sixth having pitched a little bit, or you want Emilio Pagan? I mean, honestly, you have to look, look at all angles and are you, are you facing, you know, murderers row? Or are you facing the Cincinnati Reds or, or diamondbacks? Um, so I think that, you know, again, it's got its place. Um, a lot of guys are making a lot of money doing it,
0: but teams got to make sure that they don't rely on too much of one or the other. Do you agree? Yes. And I think their managers can get handcuffed by analytics because the people in their front office are dictating, uh, a lot of these moves and they have the data to back it up. So you're not going to, you know, to, to trust your gut, uh, for a younger manager is probably more difficult to do because you're gonna to have to answer to that. Why didn't you do what the data said? Um I, I don't analytics isn't killing baseball or killing sports, but it is um it's it's creating it's it's incentivizing players and in, in particularly in baseball to basically hit 190, 220, whatever you're going to hit. But if you hit 35 home runs, we're fine with that. And if you get on base and drive up the pitcher's pitch count, we're fine with that. Okay, well, now that has been incentivized. So now the contracts are based on all of those statistics. The front offices are negotiating based on those statistics. Their competitors are building teams based on those statistics. So what you've got, it you've got the grand uh, scheme of analytics that are creating... Uh, defensive alignments, pitching matchups—they are informing people who are acquiring players, putting them on the field, and performing in a certain way. And what that, but the unintended consequences of that are: you lost small ball, you you lose the gut instinct. Uh, you don't want to take a chance with your pitcher going over hundred pitches. Um, you're burning through bullpens. Um, the shift is now. I don't have as many problems with the shift cuz I think you can beat the shift uh, if you're a good hitter but absolutely. they they're not getting paid to do that. If I'm getting paid to pull, I'm not going to shoot a ball to left field cuz what's the point? Nobody's going to bunt me over. I'm not going to steal. They want me to get driven in for a three-run homer. This is all broad generalizations. But what it had the unintended consequences of that is you have a really bad product. I think on a you know, there are certain games that are great, but and I love baseball, but It is unwatchable at times. I mean, there is so little happening. And I I read a stat in USA Today, I've repeated it many times a few years ago, where the the average time between balls and play is like almost four minutes. You know, so it's ball one, walk around the plate, ball two, take a strike, follow one off, walk around the plate, pitcher walks around the mound. I mean, you got all of the, it's a three, two count. And then finally there's a ground ball or more often than not, there'll be a ball, uh, a base on balls or a strikeout. So you have nothing happening and you have people just sitting there kind of nodding off in their chairs or in TV. I just can't watch a three and a half hour ball game. Now a good postseason game I will watch, but like, I just on a hour by hour basis, I can't watch that anymore. And it's not a matter of scoring. Right. It's a matter of things happening. Yeah. I want to see a defender make a play or not make a play. I want to see a runner take an extra base. I want to see action. I don't want to see full counts and four foul balls. You know, but that's what these guys are paid to do.
1: Tuesday, you know, last night we are taking this Wednesday. Tuesday night, you know, they were in L.A. and I was, I was going to watch most of the game, if, maybe not, if not all the games, switching back and forth between the U.S. World Junior game. And they got down 5-1 and the next three swings the next inning – they're trying to hit a grand slam with nobody on base. And I was like, <laughs> that's because you mentioned there's no no more small ball. So it's, let's get up there and see how far we can hit it. And, um, you know, that's pitchers are good now. And pitchers are be, being given advantages. Um, like, you know, this with the, the third line through the third uh, way through the order and everything else, do, do pitchers need any more advantages? Look at the batting averages across major leagues right now. If teams got three, four, five regulars hitting 220 or, or below, what kind of more advantages do we need to give pitchers right now because it's there's just not enough, you know, there's there's some bad bad bullpens, especially and the Twins had a pretty bad bullpen until 2 weeks ago, but
0: um man, pitchers have a pretty big advantage right now to be giving them anything else. Well, because hitters are giving yeah. them outs. I mean, it well, I mean their their stuff is magic right now. Everybody's throwing 95 plus with big movement. Uh everybody out of the pens up almost to 100. Um, so it, it's more, definitely more challenging to hit, but I think hitters are giving pitchers outs because they're really not, they're not shortening up their swing. They're not using all fields. They're, they're, they're being paid and told and trained for exit velocity, velocity and, uh, getting on base and, and driving in runs with long balls. So that's where the game is. And that's what I love. You know,
1: Alex Kirilov's out for the rest of the year, but. They're gonna shift him every at bat, and he is perfectly happy getting an opposite field single every single at bat. Like he just doesn't change what he does, and he go. He, the stats tell the defense, but he's st- on the on the reg. He's just trying to go the opposite
0: field and, and get a single and have somebody knock. Him and back. why why are singles bad? I don't understand. Why is a base hit bad?
1: Um, moving from analytics to another polarizing topic with the Twins, let's talk a little bit about the uh the so-called best player on the planet is rock and i and i bought into it april i was team byron i was like this is you know mvp um he's batting around 220 now is is in the lineup about half the time maybe a little more if you've got a dh and you know i'm of the opinion that i think they should probably maybe should have shut him down two months ago it's just there's too much uncertainty when's he going to be in the lineup when is he not um by playing this game with him of of dragging him along a little bit i mean they should have got another center fielder at the deadline <clears throat> celestino went down last night briefly um trying to dive for and i was like if celestino or nick gordon get hurt like they're done they have nobody else they can play center field um and even when he plays center field he can't do it the way he he can if he, if you can be in the lineup you should be in the lineup 80 percent of the time and um it's you know the uncertainty. I think is as bad as anything else right now for that for the
0: team. Well, and also you're you're an entertainment product too. And if I'm coming to the ballpark and I find out at ten thirty that Brian Buxton and Carlos Correa are not in the lineup because they're getting a day off, why am I here? Mm-hmm. You know, like what am I investing in? You know, it's not it's not enough for the food and the carnival atmosphere. If I'm a ball fan, I want to see the best players. And look, Brian Buxton's getting paid a ton of money to play. He's nobody. He, nobody expects him to play one sixty two, but I don't think it's out of out of the realm to ask him to play 140, 145 if you're a team leader, center fielder, and you're getting paid like that. Now, the counter argument to that is, well, he's injury prone. He's been banged up. It's about managing that so they can get him through the end of the season. I'd rather see him take time off, sprinkled throughout the regular season so he's okay in the playoffs, or as you said, do we shut him down for two months? Again, fall behind in the race, bring him back, and now they're six games behind. Yeah. I don't think there are great answers to that, but I think we end up doing is going down rabbit holes of theories of what it's all about kid gloves. And and it's, look, he's injury prone. He's run into walls. He's had bad luck. He's gotten hit by pitches. I don't know. I want my best player out there more often than not. And, and to have this sort of data driven, well, he needs to be off every fourth day. And, and then you pair him up with Correa. We're, we're preparing for October. It's like, they're always managing for the roster they don't have, right. or they're managing for scenarios they may not get to. I mean, Byron Buxton may be fully rested on October fifth, yeah, and they may be four blame. games out and done. Yeah. So, uh, I, I don't, I don't like it as a fan, as a, as somebody that, like I said, I think on home stands you need your best p- players out there and your best product out there. If you're, if you're telling people come invest in us,
1: I do think and I mentioned this to somebody last week about about Rocco and just the way this team is managed. There's not a lot of urgency. They waited, Never has been. Never has been. Probably never will be. They could have made one of those trades for a pitcher a month ago and give themselves a little bit of breathing room. Um, you know, the, the saying is, "You manage every game like the seventh game in the World Series." He manages games in August like it's an April game, um, and you know, here they're even like they they could easily with a little not putting Pagan in situations where he could fail. Um, you know, they could easily be three or four games up right now, and they're not. Um, and, you know, some of that's, on, you know, I there's a former general manager I work for that like to remind me players play, coaches coach, and manage,
0: managers manage. Not here, I don't believe. I no. think uh, the front yeah. office is involved much yes, more so. For sure.
1: Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Rocco's hands are certainly tied a little bit in, in some of those situations, but even in-game, um, they're just there's not always a lot of urgency. And, you, you know, once that team falls down, and I, I haven't, I think I'm in a target field once this year, but um, there's not a lot of energy anyways, it seems, you know, crowds have still been a little bit lighter COVID, weather. it's been a hot summer, people are up North, whatever, but they got down five, one in LA, but it was just, it was, it was done. There was no even opt you could just tell like it was all right, let's, let's shut it down and wait for tomorrow. And part of that goes back to the manager.
0: Yeah. And I thought maybe, you know, with his display Sunday after the, the absolute job, uh, that the mm-hmm. replay officials did on that call on Sanchez at the plate was horrific. He had every right and every motivation to go out there in Billy Martin style, kicking dirt, throwing his, you know, which is very unlike Rocco Baldelli. Yeah. And it was like, okay, I, I get that. Uh, you got screwed, act like you got screwed, stick up for your team. And then, you know, he doubled down in his postgame comments with the, the profanity laced tirade, which is, again, is very out of character, but I thought was justified. They had a day off, they go out West, maybe they can hit the reset button. And then to get rolled. Now, granted, the Dodgers are the Dodgers. I mean, they're the best team in baseball right now for obvious reasons. Yeah. You're not going to walk into Dodger Stadium and put fear into them, but uh, you would think there would have been a more emotional response to what happened Sunday, and it seemed to was seemed to have died with Rocco's hat throwing, and it didn't really carry over.
1: You ever been to Dodger Stadium? Love it. Oh, it's just we were there on a, a road couple trip. times. Yeah, we were in a ro- they're in a
0: road trip one year. It was a it was
1: playoff. They were playing the the Cardinals, and we were in the town to play the Kings and. A few of us, Gorg was in that group. There were maybe four or five of us that decided it, we're just going to buy a ticket in the parking lot, you know. And none of us had ever been. And you know, when they say Chavez me, I mean, you go up; it's up a mountain to get there. Yep. And we took a cab there, and we're just stuck in traffic. You realize why, they, why everybody gets there in the fourth inning because they're they're not stuck in traffic outside; they're stuck in traffic trying to get up the hill. And we told the cab, like, no, we'll we'll just walk up from here. He's like, oh no, you are staying. You are paying me until I get to the top of this thing and he can walk back down. But um playoff game set in the upper deck you know dodger dog it it is what it is but um just the incredible place to watch the game the atmosphere is not that great it's la but just the to be there and look out and see all.
0: i don't know if you were there in time to see the sunset but watching the sunset on the san gabriel's on a night game is a is a sight to behold
1: yeah i think uh, pittsburgh's great place to watch a game too but um dodger stadium is, is really really good um let's talk about carlos correa because i think that's you know beginning of the year, I made a couple jokes about, you know, one year and now it's starting to seem like it's potentially a a thing that, you know, he's got a $30 million contract and he can opt out after this year if he wants. And if you're Carlos Correa, how deep of a run does this team need to to make um, for you to want it? Now he's having a bit of a down year, so I don't know. He's not going to get 40 next year from somebody else. He might, but what what does he need to see from this team the next two months to... To make sure he's sticking around.
0: Well, that's an interesting question. I think the front office's moves at the deadline should have given him confidence. It sounds like they were listening to him as well along the way, which is, you know, I I mean, if you're going to listen to somebody, listen to Carlos Correa. That is for sure
1: why one or two of those moves got made. Let's, I mean,
0: I'm sure they, yeah, because you're obviously realizing, look, we want to be in the mix if we can sign him long term. And if we went out and got him on a rental deal, what's the point if we're not trying to make a run? Yeah, I mean, why sign him to a thirty million dollar deal that he can get out of? to finish third and say let's just uh give up on this year and look ahead. Um it'll be interesting if they play Houston. Yeah. Uh if they get swept by Houston, I don't think he's going to be too thrilled to stay here. I <laughs> right. think that's really going to yeah. stick with him. If they get swept by the Yankees, he may be thinking, "Well, you know, I, I I I like the atmosphere here. Everybody talks about the clubhouse and 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 it's a tight team and Rocco lets them play and isn't very uh, you know, overbearing, but for a guy that's had that kind of success, um I think he's just in a holding pattern. I don't know if there's a certain amount of, well, if they play the Yankees or Astros tough or Blue Jays tough and go out in five games or they have to get to the ALCS or he's not coming back, I think it's probably going to be a little more nuanced than that. Obviously, money will be involved too. Um, Right now, I think, again, the front office moves probably give him some confidence. Uh, But yeah, a four game, game, three-game, four-game playoff loss to Houston or New York... He may find uh, he's going to find plenty of interest, but he might he may realize I want to win. I know what it's like to be in the big games in the World Series. And I don't think that's going to happen here right away. It's hilarious
1: to me that they boo him in LA. Still, I mean, Ryan Suder got booed in Nashville for a decade, but it's it's just you hear these smattering of boos, and it's just it's funny to, especially you know you you think of Dodgers crowds and crowds in LA as you're there to be seen, it's celebrities, but some hardcore Dodger fans that are never going to forgive the, the Houston Astros for what they did.
0: Well, I think the Dodgers too. In, in fairness, there yeah. if you, we dismiss LA as a sports market for obvious reasons, there's plenty of other things to do there, <clears throat> but I think. Dodgers and Lakers move the needle, so their people are invested and there's probably, you know, they'll hold grudges. But, you know, the Dodgers have had some pretty good success over the last five or six years, too, so I think they need to move on as well.
1: Uh, we'll talk one more sponsor here. This is Joe Mama's Salsa. They're actually my neighbor in uh, in Woodbury, and they say it's like going on a magic carpet salsa ride. Here, Murph. if you want to. Dip that in there, one of there if you want as well. Uh, starts a little tart and sweet. We have the roasted garlic kind. Thankfully, Murph is at least three feet away from me after he tries this. Um, you get the sweet, you get the tart, then the peppers arrive, really get that kick towards the end. Uh, five flavors. We've got, as I said, the roasted garlic, which is not the hottest. they have got the baby. That's probably, you know, the Minnesota. Uh, the mama's original, probably the Minnesota too. The pineapple mango. Um, interested in trying that though? I can't have pineapples right now. This has got um, some zip. Zip the roasted garlic, and then if it has some zip, we might have to hook Mur- Murph up with some smoking hot mama, which is their uh, their flagship. Um, again, great guys, local hockey players, and uh, happy to have them on board here at uh, Make Love Not War. Uh, let's talk leadership a little bit on this team. I, I wrote a column this weekend, pull tab sports, kind of ranking. The leaders. Um, I th- what this team is missing is somebody like Nelson Cruz, and we all knew when he left. You don't replace a guy like that. Um, Justin re- Morneau. Those ridiculous bathrobes. You know, I mean, Donalds had paid for him, but they were Nelson Cruz's idea. Um, you know, even it's obviously we're not we're not the clubhouse anymore. You know, I've been in, in clubhouses before. Where, you know, leaders don't have to. Leaders do plenty of things we don't see, um, and that I think this team has some quiet leaders, but. Of course, I was writing this tonight. Rocco went ballistic, um, but sometimes you need a guy to flip over a table after a loss in the locker room and let his own teammates have it. And they just, you know, Buxton might be the guy to do that, but he's not around as much. Um, and it's, you know, Correa. I think Correa is probably the closest thing they have to a really true leader. He's he's mentoring Miranda, and we'll get to him, we'll get to Miranda in a second. Um,
0: Gary Sanchez they, has yep, been around a while and has yep, a
1: catcher, and he's and he's won. You know, yes. he's. It, as much as the Yankees fans and media hated him, he's won, you know? Um, but Korea, you know, one foot out the door, maybe. And I, I look at a guy, you know, Tyler Mayle came in last week, first game, couldn't believe I got home and he was in the sixth inning. He was still pitching and throwing like 80-something pitches. And I'm like, is the guy a leader just because he gets out there, he throws the ball and he like dares Rocco to come get him, right? Like that is a guy this team needs, even if he's, he's maybe not good enough to be a true number one. And I think ultimately Joe Ryan's going to be the number one over him, but uh, you know, to start a playoff series, maybe not after Ryan's performance last night, but um, to be able to show up and, and do that in your first game is huge. And I, you know, I think ultimately even now, but for the, this is going to be Jose Miranda's team for a long time. You look at the confidence he plays with, um, you know, he's, he's only 24. We've been hearing about this kid for, he's played six years in the minors, you know, signed early, but a guy who's, he's been around. He's obviously, you know, the, the minor leagues. And I wrote a column about this earlier in the year too. You know, it's kind of become this four letter word, like guys should spend time in the minors, especially if they need time to develop. The other thing you do, especially in double A and triple A, especially triple A, you, you're alongside guys like Jake cave who are natural leaders. Um, And I think you see that out of Miranda just getting up here and the confidence he has. And um, talk about, you know, your take on leadership on this team.
0: Well, it's, it's tricky because I think in a lot of ways, veteran players command presence. Nelson Cruz obviously was that guy, um, confident enough in his abilities, a big enough resume to carry a big stick in that locker room or in that clubhouse. Um, a guy like Miranda, I view as a leader just because an emerging or potential leader because of his... Um, eccentricity the way he connects with fans the way he looks like he's having fun the way he makes it look effortless he could be on a track to be a, a solid leader I was hoping Buxton and maybe Max Kepler could emerge at some point as being go-to guys in the clubhouse for those types of moments where you know things are going bad you look to a veteran you know if Kepler's been around a while now he still seems like a guy yeah very much in the background um you know Sano could have been that guy um I always remember, you know, Joe Maurer, especially when Morneau left or had to retire because of his concussions. I mean, Morneau was more of the the follow me, get on my back, boys, guy than Joe Maurer ever was. But Maurer had the contract, and that was sort of his albatross for a long time. And I always felt bad because I, I was lucky enough. I wrote about Joe Maurer in high school. I wrote about him his first two years in the minors. So I've seen his, I saw his career evolve in front of me. And Joe was never that guy. And and people wanted him to be the guy that would overturn the food table in the in the clubhouse after an awful loss or a bad call. If Joe Mauer did that, people would be like, "What's up with yeah. Mauer? <laughs> like, what what is he doing? It's yeah. fake. It's staged. It's not him." I mean, you can only be who you are. You got to be yourself. And people are going to be drawn to leadership qualities. Um, people that quietly take bullets for other teammates, whether in the media or on the field. Uh, that's, those are the thing you, as you mentioned, stuff that we don't see as the public or the media, even in general, we get in the locker room, we see guys laughing and snapping towels and who's, who's, who's the big joke teller and all that. You can make some deductions about, all right, who commands the room, but you really don't know. You don't know when things are going terribly between periods, who's stepping up and saying the right things, who's being accountable, who's holding others accountable. So it's, it's a tricky thing to, to, to assign leadership to somebody who may not be natural at that. But at the end of the day, somebody has to emerge. And whoever that is, is somebody with, again, the resume, the personality, and sort of the accountability to back that up. And you're right. I don't see a lot. I see a lot of moving parts and a lot of potential, but I don't see a go-to person. And again, I'm not covering the team, but I'm not there every day. I don't see a guy that's emerging as, all right, if we need somebody to get the big hit at the big moment and say the right thing at the right time, that's who it is. I don't know who that is in the Twins Clubhouse. Yeah.
1: Uh, we'll take kind of one more twins question and I want to get you, get your take on a couple other sports things before, uh, before we go, but like, what is, what's, what is the goal of this team? I don't, I don't think they even necessarily know. I don't think anyone in the front office would tell you anything, but they've, they've got to win a playoff game. Like just to get the 0-18 thing off their back, they have to, they have to win a playoff game.
0: They have to, and they almost have to win game one. Yeah. I mean, especially if it's a New York.
1: The last playoff game they won was game one
0: in you uh, Santana. That Yankee Yankees. Stadium. Shannon Stewart made a great mm-hmm. catch at the wall. Was yeah. that the game? Yeah. I remember that. Okay, one. so that was 18 years ago. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I hate the old cliche, one game at a time, and we'll play them as they come, but they really have to win a game. I mean, they absolutely have to win one game in a series. Just to in, get people to stop talking they about they have it. to win game one. Yeah. And I know the 2021, 2020, 2019 Twins, and certainly the 2022 uh, Twins... Don't like carrying the burden of the 2004, 2006, 2009, 10. I get that. It wasn't your team. You were probably still in grade school. I understand. But you're in a market that is bearing that burden, and you have to own it. And the only way you can own it is to put an end to it. It's that simple. I mean, I'm sorry. You couldn't lose 18 straight postseason games in any sport on purpose. And it just seems like the Twins they can't get out of their own way now. And yes, I mean the fan it's baked into the fan base. If they fall behind in game 1, if they lose game 1, it, people are going to get off the ship really quickly. So they absolutely have to win game 1. And then you know, I, I to me, it, it do playing tough in the division series isn't that big of a deal to me yeah. anymore. This team's got a ton of division flags over the last 20 years. They haven't been in the ALCS and 20 years. So you got to move on. You got to advance. You got to win one game, win a series, advance, look like you're ascending as opposed to just treading water. Yeah.
1: Uh, We'll get to a couple other sports questions here. Usually when Murph and I talk sports is at a local establishment and we take more time than you're going to have the attention for here. So we'll try not to to beliger the point too much. But um, you've been out of the game, so to speak, about as as long as I have. Um, Three years. I mean, as a full-time journalist. A little more than that for me. But again, we both still do we're both still at more sporting events than probably before our families would tell you. Um, how long? Did how was the adjustment for you, especially you know, wanting to watch sports as a as a fan at home in a stadium? I know you're a big Saints, Saint Paul Saints guy. Guy I know now. I'm sure you bring the family out there. But what was that transition like for you?
0: I thought it was pretty healthy, frankly. Yeah. I mean, if anything, I'm more of a fan today than I was the 20 years I was covering sports. Um, It's a natural thing. I mean, I moved out of my hometown, so I left all my loyalties at home. And then when you get into the business, I had no emotional connection to any of the teams here. I just covered them. Um, You know, you're you're you don't have a rooting interest. You're you're interested in how can I do my job well and and what are the paths of least resistance to access and getting information. And but, you know, it burns you out. Um, And I just. You know, I don't I, you know, I would never sit around home between assignments watching games, right. maybe an NFL game here or there just in the background. But I wasn't sitting around watching games. But now I have an 11 year old son who really, since I've almost gotten out full time, I mean, has really gotten into watching and following sports, whether it's fantasy football teams that he's got. And he's a big baseball fan, big Red Sox fan for whatever reason, and uh, loves hockey, loves Kirill. Loves the Vikings, loves just he loves knowing what's going on like I did when I was 11. He devours all the information he can and he tells me things I don't know. So I've been able to rediscover my fandom through him. I'm not necessarily rooting for the Twins, but I would like to see him enjoy the Twins or him enjoy the Vikings or him enjoy. I'd love to see the Wild win a Stanley Cup for him. Yeah, I could care less, but yeah. for him, it would be a great experience. So, yeah, that's been great. That's been interesting that that's been a natural I still don't watch too many three-hour games, but I will watch more. I'll flip around more. I'll yeah. say, "Hey, Bud, your Red Sox are on. You want to hang out, and watch an inning or two with me?" When, when five years ago, I would have never done
1: that. Yeah, it's funny to talk about um, kids and the dad. And when I, uh, my parents were divorced I was growing up, and it was you know he lived in Vermont. It was a couple-hour drive, and I'm really good at math. And one of the reasons I'm really good at math is we would read the back of baseball cards, and I would you know, say, oh, if a guy's got 84 at bats and 21 hits, like dad, what's his batting average? And he'd say 250. And like, I it just slowly started to come around for me. And I, you know, sports stats are kind of how I get into, which is funny now that I'm anti analytics, but, um, you well, know, those are baby stats. Though. Those are babies. Yeah, exactly. Those are real world stats. You know, when, I, when I'm off the wild, uh, gosh, that's already been seven years. Holy cow. Um, I left, I turned in my resignation uh, for a corporate job the same day the Wild traded for Devin Dubnik. And I'm not going to lie, it was like, you know, because they, they, and I was like, oh. Were they on the road? Yeah, and I was like, oh, this is no big deal. You know, this is, we're not, the last thing I wanted to do was leave and the Stanley Cup be that year. You know, it's just anybody who does anything like that, it's just the last thing you want to do. And I was like, well, I got (laughs) no worries here. I can go on to my next job. And of course then, you know, the next night he started in Buffalo, Fulham, like he was on a red eye, started in Buffalo, and this run starts. And I'm like, damn it, you know. And actually, I kept joking with people. And I, you know, it, my letter to Craig Leopold to petition for either a ring or the Stanley Cup share because was it really Dubnik getting there, or was it like the mook me, the negativity getting Leaving. out, of, getting out <laughs> of the room? Um, Addition by subtraction, exactly. Um, and I, you know, I, again, same, same with you now, you know, I'll watch wild games probably a little more than, than most, but I'm a dance dad. So, you know, it's great. Now I've got the MLB package on my phone. I can be in the parking lot of the dance studio waiting for stuff to wrap up and I can watch games or listen on XM and the, the, just the accessibility, especially for busy parents now and busy dads and moms to be able to follow sports and things like that when they're not around a TV set at home and, you know, the kids too. And, um, Every tween has a phone now and can watch whatever videos they want. So, well,
0: I am concerned though because he doesn't read a ton about all this. he, yeah. he sits in front of a YouTube guy yeah. and and listens to that guy tell him who the leaders are in every sport. Yeah, but that guy had to read it somewhere or right. somebody gave it to him. So I'm like, because every time I show him an article or point something out, hey, why don't you read this? Why don't you? Read? Nah, he's never. Right. I'd rather have somebody on a screen probably yelling it at him. Seamless. Now I'm now I'm a 50 year old going on 90, but I just. Dude, you can read a little bit about this. Seamless transition about reading. You want to hand
1: me the book? Yes. <laughs> um, before we wrap up here, I, I did mention that and I, the 100 Things Minnesota Fans Should Do Before They Die. Um, Murph was lucky enough to bring one of these in for us to...
0: Well, you got most of the dust off from your, from your head. <laughs> I found it in the bottom of a box. I wrote it five years ago. The royalty checks are no longer coming in, so... <laughs> Uh, but it is, it's a great,
1: it's a great read. Um, all these books are, are super. So we want to give one, give away one of these on Twitter. And I thought what I do, um, why don't you tell us, we'll take the gophers out of this, just Minnesota sports in general. Um, what's one thing you think that, you know, if your friends are coming into town and they live in New York, um, or wherever, and you know, what, what are the, what are the Minnesota sports things you need to know and do? Just give, give me one of them. Uh, why don't you just shoot it on Twitter, just a, a regular old Twitter, uh, you know, tweet to uh to R Stanzel, R S T A N Z E L. You might get an extra entry if you tag pull tab sports as well. Uh thanks. Pull has been great through this process. And if you're not reading us and other people at PullTab Sports, you need to. Um, lots of stuff on pop culture. Uh pretty much covering every sport in town now. We got some Wisconsin stuff too. Um, you know, it's not your typical sports readership, but it's sports with a little bit of an edge that we think you'll enjoy. Uh John King, Tom Garrity do a great job over there and we really appreciate their support through this. Um, if you're interested in joining Jimmy's or Joe Mama's in a sponsorship, drop me a note too. And uh, Murph, it's been a lot of fun. Um, definitely keep in touch and uh, good luck in that corporate world.
0: Thanks, man. It's uh, nice to be home or at least done at work at Four (laughs) o'clock. So I I drag
1: Murph through MLS All Star Game traffic to a (laughs) studio. Uh, Again, thanks everybody for joining us. We'll be back to do this again. No set schedule, but you know, sometime in the next two weeks for sure, we'll have another guest in here, and uh, we look forward to it. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Make Glove, Not War on the Pull Tab Sports Podcast Network.